0: Is there a In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. the Lord be with you. And with your spirit.
1: As we gather this night, we are conscious of standing in a real moment of grace. As we hear from St. Paul at the very beginning of the holy season of Lent, now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. Conscious of that, then we open our hearts to the saving grace of the living God, and we call to mind our sins, and in doing so, prepare ourselves to celebrate these sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do.
0: Priesteleison, eleison. Kyrie, eleison. Kyrie, eleison. Kyrie eleison. Let us pray.
1: Pour forth, we beseech you, great God, your grace into our hearts that we to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may, through the intercession of the Holy Virgin Mary, by his passion and his cross, be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Please remain standing. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him and the criminals there, one on his right, the other on his left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They divided his garments by casting lots. The people stood by and watched. The rulers, meanwhile, sneered at him and said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the chosen one the Christ of God. Even the soldiers jeered at him. As they approached to offer him wine, they called out, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Above him, there was an inscription that read, This is the king of the Jews. Now, one of the criminals hanging there reviled Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other, however, rebuking him, said in reply, Have you no fear of God? For you are subject to the same condemnation. And indeed, we have been condemned justly. For the sentence we received corresponds to our crimes. But this man has done nothing criminal. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied to him, Amen, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon because of an eclipse of the sun. Then the veil of the temple was torn down the middle. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion who witnessed what had happened glorified God and said, this man was innocent Beyond doubt. The Gospel of the Lord. Please Lord Please be seated. Last night, we began our reflection by speaking upon the threefold signing that we do that prepares us for the proclamation of the saving word of the gospel. Tonight, we begin by what happens at the end of that proclamation, where the priest or the deacon who announces the words of the gospel lifts the book and kisses the words he has just announced. And just like the threefold signing we spoke about last night, it happens every day. And in all honesty, some days it's easier to kiss those words than others. But note then what that implies and note what that says. Whether the proclamation is affirming or challenging, whether I feel uplifted or condemned by the word, the response is the same. I kiss it. Note what that implies. Every word that comes from the mouth of God is valuable and important and for my salvation. Not just the convenient word, not just the consoling word, not just my favorite word, but the difficult word, too. The off-putting word, the challenging word. And the issue is if I would receive the word of God, I must do so in its fullness. This too, this simple gesture of the kiss to the gospel has something in it of the very essence of the Catholic understanding of sacred scripture and in particular of the gospels. Notice how over the course of the year, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, There is a definite rhythm to the proclamation of the word, and the rhythm is determined by the gospel. In other words, Father doesn't get to pick and choose his favorite passages, but we read the whole gospel. Note how beautiful that is. Because left to our own preferences, we would skip certain areas. And so we discipline ourselves and we read them all. And the response is, whether I like the passage or not, I recognize its goodness, and I kiss it. Think about your own experience in your own lives of an inconvenient word, that phone call in the middle of the night, that demand to come into work on your day off, that sudden imposition from out of nowhere that now ruins the time you had set aside for yourself. And oftentimes we don't receive that word with a kiss, do we? And while we may not say something directly, there's a certain heat in our hearts that we feel. Consider those moments where you've been corrected and even when we know we're wrong, we don't like it being pointed out. And as correct as it is, as right as it is, I am still angry, I am still offended because how dare you say that to me. And so our own experience is that the inconvenient word is a word that is often met not with a kiss, but with anger. And so note this discipline. Whether the word is convenient or not, I kiss it. And I receive it as a treasure, because it is given to me out of love as a tool for my salvation. And when the priest or the deacon kisses the words of the gospel he has just announced, he doesn't do so merely as an expression of his personal devotion. He does it on behalf of everyone because he says a prayer while he does it. May the words of the gospel wipe away, not my, but our sins. It's said on behalf of the entire community. And why? Because when we initiated this practice, not everybody had a worship aid in their hands. Not everybody had the text of the scriptures in their hands but the one who proclaimed did, And so received those words on behalf of everyone. But note how marvelous that is. We are not content with only our favorite parts of the gospel. We rather long to engage and submit to the entirety of the gospel. And this is something that the faithful across the centuries have taken home with them. It is a very common practice that when one reads the Bible regularly, the person who does so will often lift the Bible up and kiss those words before putting it away. And it's the echo of this gesture. The word must be respected. And the respect with which I receive the word matters. Because hearing the word is not enough. What matters is how I receive it. That having been said then, we have the words of the Gospel that are before us tonight, from the account of the Passion of Christ according to Saint Luke. And these words follow upon the words that we heard last night from Saint Mark, where the Lord gives the very difficult word of the cross to his disciples, a word that they have a hard time receiving. And Jesus puts this word of the cross before them as the very key which unlocks the truth of who he is. So we remember that series of questions. What does the world say about me? What do you say about me? Now let me speak for myself. And when Jesus speaks for himself, it's the word of the cross. The son of man will be rejected. He will be arrested. He will be condemned. He will suffer. He will be put to death and he will rise. Note how when Jesus speaks about himself, he speaks of the cross. And in doing so, he says something very important. The cross is not an accident. Jesus Christ is not a victim of circumstances. He is not just another victim. Why does he die? Because he came to do that. That is where he is going. And he is doing that for us and for our salvation. Sometimes we lose sight of that. The question is, well, why did Jesus die? And, well, we look at the hatred of his opponents. We look at the political reality of the day. But the simple fundamental fact of the matter is it's because he came for the cross. And so there is no understanding Jesus without engaging the cross. That is why, then, it is so important that we take time tonight, as we do over the holy season of Lent, to engage this great mystery, the cross which is the key that unlocks the fullness of the truth of Jesus Christ for us. And so we turn now, then, to the Lord and his cross. And there are so many remarkable things that one sees as we turn to engage this mystery. Not the least of which is this. They come for him at night when it's dark. When everyone should be sleeping. They come for for him at night when our fears keep us awake when our worries oppress us and keep us awake and have us unsettled, they come for him at night. And remarkably, at night, he is ready and he is watching. But even as they come for him in the darkness of night, we see that his friends, including his closest friends whom he asked to keep watch with him, crumble and abandon him, and flee. And so he is alone, and he is taken away. And he's dragged before the petty ruler who condemns him. And this positioning of the Lord before that one who, on earthly terms, stands as judge, and jury, that one who can pass sentence, we must pause at the irony of this. Here is the very Son of God, the true King, the true ruler, who will, in fact, judge the living and the dead. And we marvel at the fact that he is willing to stand before and endure the unjust Judgment of worldly authority. His own religious leaders condemn him. And then the voice of Rome condemns him. But of what is he found guilty by Pontius Pilate? Does Pilate convict him of a crime? No. Pilate, in fact, is at pains to declare his innocence. I find no guilt in him. So what is Jesus guilty of? He's not worth saving. He's not worth defending. We see here how the world values innocence. Innocence is useless. Politically, innocence gives us nothing. Economically, innocence gives us nothing. He is innocent and therefore inconvenient. Note how horrific this is. And to prove to you that I find no guilt in him, what does Pilate say? I will have him scourged. Think about that for a moment. If it weren't so horrifying, it would be laughable. To prove to you I find him innocent, I will have men beat him. Because that's what innocence means to me. It's inconvenient. It's not worth defending. And so we see here that the Lord quite literally bears a guilt and a sentence that isn't his to bear. And the world knows it, it just simply doesn't matter. Consider all of those moments in your life when you felt unfairly criticized unfairly put upon, when you said to yourself or to someone else, I don't deserve this, and note what we see here. He is innocent. Go and beat him. He is innocent. Crown him with thorns. Jesus bears all of this. And remarkably, he doesn't protest. He doesn't stand up and say, you have no right to do this to me. He endures it because all too many are made to endure a burden that wasn't theirs to bear in the first place. What a remarkable moment this is. At the very beginning of the Passion, These mysteries where he is dragged away at night, where he is made to stand before those who presume to pronounce judgment upon him. And in the end, the judgment is your innocent, but that doesn't matter. And so we come to that terrifying moment where Pilate has the beaten Lord The Lord, crowned with thorns, standing in front of him. And note, bleeding as he is, wounded as he is, laughed at as he has been. There is no obvious dignity about him. And so he's easily dismissed. And the world does this all the time. You're too dirty, you're too poor, you're too weak, you're too unimportant, you're too inconvenient. And even when I look at you, there's nothing appealing about you. And so it's easy to reject you, easy to set you aside. And so Pilate brings the Lord out, behold the man And there is nothing about him that says he's handsome and powerful and attractive because he's been laughed at and reduced to so little. How easy it is then to say, give us Barabbas. Because Barabbas is strong. Barabbas is a patriot. Barabbas is a guy who gets things done and doesn't put up with nonsense, unlike Jesus. We hear this in our society around us today all the time. We hear this in the world and we've heard this in the world from the very beginning. Give me the one who gets things done. Give me the one who doesn't put up with anything. Give me the one who will break the eggs and move things forward at whatever the cost. Unlike that guy, that innocent guy who doesn't fight back in the way I think he should. How remarkable this is. How incredible this is and we see then even among the people the desire for the false strong man over the one who is really strong because we want apparent strength physical strength political strength economic strength over moral strength over spiritual strength And so the strong man stands there, but he looks weak and foolish in the eyes of the world. Take him away. Crucify him. We want someone else. Give us Barabbas. And so even at that moment where he is going to go and save us, what does the world do? It calls for false salvation. It calls for a false savior. A savior who can do nothing. All the while, Jesus Christ stands there, the real savior. But so unappealing to the heart that loves a false worldly strength. And so the Lord is condemned. Take him away then and crucify him, Pilate says. I've got nothing more to do with him. And even as Pilate washes his hands, pretending to absolve himself of responsibility, as if somehow that can be done, he sends an innocent man to die. And the innocent man goes forward to die. And they bring the cross out to him, that large wooden object that they bring to the carpenter, to the one who knows what it is to work with wood, to the one who understands what it is when the wood is not shaped appropriately to the person. They bring it to him, that heavy burden that requires multiple men to carry, and they bring it to him to carry by himself. And as large and heavy as that wooden object is, that's the least of it. Because all that does is symbolize the real burden he carries, which is our guilt, and that's a lot heavier. The guilt of every man or woman who has ever lived the guilt of all the sins ever committed and yet to be committed. That's the burden he bears. That's the cross, the cross that mankind can't even begin to carry. That's what's brought out and brought to him. And here, as this happens, the next great moment occurs because the Lord stretches out his hands to that cross. And it is important that we recognize this. If you ever get the chance to visit a church with good artwork of the Stations of the Cross, find station number two and look at the artwork because more often than not, it will show something remarkable. The second station, Jesus takes up his cross. Jesus receives his cross. Jesus gets his cross. However it is named shows something very powerful. The eye of the body sees the executioners and the soldiers dragging the cross out. The eye of the body sees worldly power thrusting the cross onto the shoulders of the condemned man as if the cross comes from the world. But really good art of the Stations of the Cross shows something else. It shows Jesus looking heavenward and lifting up his arms to receive that cross not from Pilate, not from the Pharisees and the chief priests, not from worldly difficulty, but from heaven itself. And he settles that cross on his shoulders. Because how we receive the cross matters. If we receive it from the world, it's merely imposition. It is merely a burden. It is merely pain, and it does no good. When we receive it from heaven, when we let the Lord give it to us, then it becomes something different. It becomes the very means of salvation. Physically, the cross that Jesus carries is no different from the crosses of the men who are condemned alongside of him. Oh, but spiritually, morally, the cross that the Lord bears is a very different thing, and the way he bears it is very different. But is this burden from heaven that he bears even though he doesn't have to. How important that is. We think freedom means I don't have to do what I don't want to do. We think freedom means I get to choose what I like and do what I like. Know what the Lord shows us. He doesn't have to carry this burden, but he does. That's freedom. He doesn't have to go through this, but he does, because that's the freedom of love. The opposite is the freedom of self-indulgence. It goes nowhere. How remarkable this is. And so the Lord takes up this burden which isn't His and makes it His own. And He bears it and now it is His burden. My guilt that I cannot bear is now His burden, not because He deserves it, but because He has chosen it. He takes it up. He bears it. And so he walks forward under his cross. He's unsteady, he's condemned, he's a target, and even children pick up rocks to throw at him. He hears the insults, the mockery, the cursing of the crowd. He's shoved by the soldiers. And the two who come with him are likewise treated, returning curses for curses anger for anger, and then there's Jesus, who says nothing, and who simply moves forward, refusing to be reduced to the inhuman level of those who mistreat him. This, too, we miss. All too often when anger is what it is that motivates us, what we are doing is robbing ourselves of our own humanity. We become little better than beasts. But not so the Lord. Not so the Lord. And in this patience, which is foolish in the eyes of the world, he shows us a strength that the world cannot understand because he will not wallow in the mud of worldly hatred, of worldly anger, of worldly self-indulgent condemnation. How absolutely remarkable this is. Finally then, finally then this mad procession makes its way to the top of the hill The Lord is stripped of his garments, he who's been stripped of his reputation. He's already been stripped of his honor and his dignity. His friends have run away. He's all alone. The clothing being torn off of him is just but a symbol of how much has been taken away and how much he's been willing to lay down. He who has made himself poor so that we might become rich. And he stands there. And then he is shoved down onto that cross. And as he's shoved down onto the cross, rude hands grab his arms and stretch them out and press them down against the wood. And everything is breathless everything is silent then because everyone knows what comes next. Because a hand grabs a nail, a large nail made for only one purpose, and it's not to put two pieces of wood together. And another hand grabs a hammer. And there's the hand on the wood. Oh, and there's the nail, the nail right over the hand. And there's the hammer, everything is silent, everything is quiet. No one says a word because everyone is looking at what happens next, everyone knows. Everything is still, and suddenly the hammer falls again and again and again, and Jesus says nothing, think about that. Think about the last time somebody cut you off on the road. Think about the last time something just didn't go well. Think about the last time somebody looked at you the wrong way. Somebody was rude to you. Think about the last time you got bad service at a restaurant, think about how many small things produce such a volcanic reaction within us. The heat we feel, the energy we feel, the desire to lash out and to say something however rude it is. Even if we don't, we just love thinking And Jesus says nothing. The problem is, Jesus has another hand, and there's another nail. There's always another nail. Of all the things that might be lacking in this world, what is never missing is another darn nail. There's always another nail. And where there's a nail, there's always a hand that's willing to grab a hammer. And that is the horrible truth of life in this sin-fallen world. And so once again, the hand is stretched out and pressed against the wood, and there's the nail. And everyone watches because, well, maybe that was just an accident. And then there's the hammer. And again, in that breathless moment where everyone looks, knowing what is coming next, powerless to stop it, That sound once again. Not just once, but many times. We forget that. It wasn't just a single blow of the hammer on the nail, it was a lot of them. Over over and over again by a guy who maybe thought he was just doing his job, just following orders, just doing what is right because that's what I'm here to do. Over and over and over again. And Jesus says nothing. Think about those experiences in your own life that never work and how continually frustrating they are, how angry they can make us. Think about that person who has that rare gift of being able to stand on your last nerve and jump on that bad boy on a regular basis and what that does to you. Think of those family dynamics that don't seem like they're ever going to get any better. Think of all of those things about the world around you that worry you, that bother you, that upset you. And how angry, how frustrated, how bitter that can make us. Jesus says nothing. Note how remarkable this is, this odd patience of the Lord. Not a curse, not an ugly look, nothing like that. None of the volcanic anger that so readily erupts out of us. And Jesus has two feet. And there's another nail. There is always another nail. There is always another nail. When will it end, we say? Oh, there's always another nail. This world always has another nail. Where there's a nail, oh, there's a hammer. And where there's a hammer, there's a hand. And so the feet are stretched out on that hard, unyielding wood. And once again, that sound, that sharp, horrible sound. When will it stop? And the hammer falls again and again and again and again. And now, finally, after all of that, Jesus says something. And what he says is arguably the most remarkable statement that has ever been uttered in the history of the universe. Nothing before this moment has ever been said anything like this. From the moment Almighty God said, let there be light, and there was light until this moment. even as that hammer is swinging after all of those blows the lord speaks and he asks for blessing upon the guy who is swinging that hammer who of us could do that Who of us could do that? Father, forgive them. Forgive that foolish, unthinking, brutish man who's swinging that hammer right now because he doesn't know what he's doing. This is not a guy like me wearing fancy vestments saying, love your enemy. This is Jesus Christ with the nails in his body, feeling every blow with the stinging rebukes of all of those mockeries still ringing in his ears, crying out to heaven, and he doesn't say, Father, rescue me. He doesn't say, Father, punish him. He doesn't say, Father, give me justice. He says, Father, you forgive him. You forgive him. Even as the nails are being driven, the heart of Jesus Christ has compassion on the one who is swinging the hammer. This is where Christ is greater than all of us. Right here. If the question is, how do I know that Jesus is God, look no further. We don't need to see a healing now. Because who can do this if not God? Who can say this if not God? Love your enemy, pray for your persecutors, and look what we see here. The Lord is better than his word. How absolutely marvelous this is. Nothing has ever been said like this in the history of the world until the Lord says it. The innocent man who is truly innocent brutally condemned unjustly tortured humiliated murdered and he says not vindicate me but forgive them nothing like this has ever been said before this is new this is marvelous this is powerful this is Jesus this is why the cross is the key to knowing Jesus this is why and what happens even as the Lord says this the world responds and what is the world's response laughter mockery imagine this nothing like this has ever happened ever been said before in the history of the universe And what does the brutish heart of man say? Oh, that's just stupid. If you are the son of God, remember what we heard last night when St. Peter came to Jesus? Lord, this dying is a really stupid plan. So what do we hear tonight? If you are the son of God, save yourself. Because that's how the world thinks. Save yourself, defend yourself, get vengeance on your enemy. That's how it works. And so now we come to the fact that even among the guys that die with Jesus, this dynamic is at play. So let's look at these guys. You remember what we heard last night about picking up your cross and following me? And we talked about how there's a necessary step before you can do that, which is self-denial. Now let's look at the lesson. Because as Jesus moves to Calvary, quite literally, two men pick up their crosses and follow him. Isn't that interesting? Except only one of them gets it right. In other words, following Jesus with the cross is not enough. Two men carry their cross with Jesus. And these two men are vitally important because only two men, only these two men in the entire history of the world receive this grace even the Virgin Mary doesn't receive this grace on the day they die in the same place at the same time suffering the same things and dying the same death as them is Jesus Christ only these two men only these two men can say that note how remarkable that is as they're going through it all they see initially is the misery of their condemnation and yet hidden in that misery is the fact that Jesus is condemned with them As they pick up their crosses, Jesus Christ picks up his, quite literally. As they stumble through the streets of Jerusalem, Jesus stumbles right alongside them. As they reach Calvary and are fastened to their crosses, so too Jesus is fastened to his. Note how remarkable this is. These two men, capital felons, Objectively guilty of great crimes. And Jesus is pleased to look like one of them. Condemned, sentenced to capital punishment, dying as a criminal, alongside two real criminals. This is Jesus doing so so that the world can see no one is so far fallen, no one is so far lost, no one is so caught up in darkness that Jesus Christ will not go there. He dies like a capital felon, nailed to a cross, designated one who is guilty. Note how remarkable this is. And these two men are the only two. Think about that. As great as their crimes are, Jesus is pleased to die with them and like them. And in the middle of all of this, one of the two, jesus is unlocking the gate of heaven right next to him and what does this man do he laughs he rejects it he mocks it as saint luke writes he reviles it and yet note what he says if you are really the christ save yourself and us too Note what he says save me we grow up thinking that's the prayer we need to say isn't it lord jesus save me be careful because it's not a magic formula here it's a prayer that condemns this man save me so i can get back to what i was doing before i don't want to suffer get me off the cross but i'm not going to change Note the lack of repentance. This man, carrying his cross alongside Jesus, seeing the patience of Jesus, dies as he lives. Angry, violent, valuing strength above all other things. And so as the Lord is opening heaven, as the Lord is forgiving those who harm him, all he sees is foolishness. And all he wants is to escape. But the Lord hasn't come, so we get to escape. He's come to truly save us, including from ourselves. What does this man want? He's only sorry he got caught. He's only sorry he's suffering, but his suffering teaches him nothing about being better. And so all he says is, Lord, make the pain go away. That's all I want. And then I'll go back and inflict pain on whoever I feel like. It's an empty prayer. There's no salvation in that prayer. The other one, however, is different. Something happened to him along the way as he watches how the Lord engages the cross. He sees that there's something different about Jesus. He doesn't respond with anger. He doesn't respond with hatred. There's something about Jesus which is not mastered by the pain of the moment, which is not mastered by the ridicule of the world. There's something about Jesus that is greater than those things. And so when this man, who lived violently, looks at Jesus and hears the Lord say, Father, forgive them, he understands. Only one who is truly innocent can say such a thing. And so he tells his friend to shut up. And know what he says. Have you no fear of God? You're dying the same way he is. Why are you acting like you're someone better? Last I checked, you were on a cross, too. Last I checked, you were under a death sentence, too. Why are you trying to be someone else? Note how perverse our pride can make us. Even in our suffering, there can be that odd proud of pride of being a victim where somehow in my pain, I'm better than you in yours. And this man looks at the other and says, the problem is you might be dying like Jesus, but you're not him because he's innocent and you're not, and I'm not either. And this man, in his woundedness and in his suffering, has his eyes open to the truth. I am, in fact, guilty, and that's the truth. And there is freedom in coming to recognize that. This is not about wallowing in self-pity. It is simply acknowledging, I am, in fact, guilty. And he turns to Jesus and he says, I know you. I know that you're innocent and I'm not. And that's the difference between you and me. You're innocent. I'm not. I'm suffering because I've contributed to the sinfulness of this world. You're suffering, but you're innocent and you're suffering for me. And so instead of saying directly, save me, he doesn't say, rescue me from my pain. He doesn't say, take me off of this cross. He accepts his cross as the remedy for his sin. And he says simply, remember me. (coughs) You are coming into a kingdom And you remember me. And at first glance, that seems an odd thing to say. Except when one recognizes in the Psalms, to be forgotten by God is to be truly dead. And to be remembered by the Lord is to live. And so he is very much asking for life. Remember me. I do not want to be like those who are forgotten and consigned to the underworld. Remember me. Remember that one guy at least knew you were innocent, and he wasn't. But more than that, you remember me, because that is life. And so it is to this one that the Lord turns and says, Amen, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. The first person getting to heaven on Good Friday is a convicted capital criminal who turned to the Lord and recognized the truth about himself in seeing the truth of Jesus. Note how remarkable that is. Note how remarkable it is. The one who has least reason to expect this, least reason to hope for this, least reason to believe it is a possibility of any kind, is the first one, the first saint, on Good Friday. The church has never had to canonize this guy because Jesus did right there on the cross. We celebrate him today as St. Dismas the good thief. And why the good thief? As a pastor in my hometown parish used to say, because he stole heaven at the last minute. <laughs> but note how wonderful that is, how unlikely it is that he would be the one And so there is hope for all of us. Note how marvelous that is. This is Jesus. The cross is the key. The cross shows us who Christ truly and fully is. This is why if we long to know the Lord and really love the Lord, we can do no better than to spend time contemplating all that he has undergone in his passion for us and for our salvation. Notice how much we were able to see just reflecting on a handful of verses. This is Jesus. And so note again the importance of what the Lord said. If anyone wishes to come after me, It is not, let him pick up his cross and follow me. It is, let him deny himself. Pick up his cross and follow me. Because how we pick up the cross matters. With the Lord, it is the means of salvation. Without the Lord, it's just pain. The simple fact of the matter is the cross comes to everybody. The only question is how do we embrace it? How do we know it? How do we receive it? I can bear it with proud impatience in which case it will do me no good. I can bear it with the patience of a saint like Jesus in which case it will bear me to salvation. And I can let it open my eyes like the good thief but the truth of myself and my need for his mercy, in which case it will likewise lift me to salvation. But how I meet it, how I bear it, how I put my hand around it makes all the difference. I mentioned that this evening we would be blessing crosses, specifically crucifixes. Did you guys bring them? Start fishing them out. And get them ready. If you brought more than one single one of your collection out to have in your hand I'm going to bless all of them but I want you everybody who's here to have at least one cross in your hand. The cross is our great symbol. And when I mentioned take down the primary cross in your house and blow the dust off of it and clean it up, that wasn't merely to make a joke. The simple fact of the matter is most of our time we look at the crucifix, we rarely touch it. And it matters that we do touch it. But the other thing is that simple act of cleaning it off symbolizes the fact that we do need to dust our hearts off too. We do need to clean up and purify our relationship with the Lord, especially in this great mystery by which he saves us. Among your crosses, some of you, I do not doubt, have a crucifix or a cross that's been in your family for quite a while. It may be something that goes back to your great grandparents or even earlier. Some of you have crucifixes or crosses that were wedding gifts. Some of you have crucifixes or crosses that you've picked up on certain occasions and there's a story to them. Share those stories with your children and with your grandchildren. That is a vital part of how we pass on who we are. Let them hold it. Let them see it. Let them know it. That's important. It's part of who you are as a family. It's part of who we are as a people. And for our young ones, whether they realize it or not, is part of who they are. And that's really valuable. But when you go home tonight, when you go home tonight, Think of a couple things. One, think of the experience of putting your hand around your crucifixes. And there's great power in that. And what you may want is to make it a point to get a crucifix or a cross that fits right in your hand that you can pray with on a regular basis. Especially for those days when you've got nothing left in the tank spiritually. And all you can do is close your hand around something solid. That's a real good prayer. That's a really good prayer. But more importantly, that cross that you took down, the main crucifix in your house, when you go back home, before you put that back on the wall, pause. Sit with that cross in your hand. Husband and wife hold it together. Think of what we've reflected on tonight. And then think about yourself. Because if you've been alive for more than 10 minutes, and I believe all of us have been, you've been carrying a long list of things over the years. Regrets, wounds, sorrows, sadness. That's the simple truth. You know, we're... We have a hard time holding on to the goodness that comes into our life, but we never forget something some kid said to us on the playground when we were 10. That's how we work. And so tonight, before you put that crucifix back, think about those things. And you choose one unkind word, one difficult memory one regret, one disappointment in yourself that you've been carrying for a while, and you hear what Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Because the person who hurt you all those years ago has probably already forgotten it. You haven't. That... Mistake you made all those years ago, you probably didn't know what you were doing. Take Jesus at his word and let it go. One regret, one unkind word, one person, one thing that you've been carrying all these years, just let it go because it's time. You've carried it long enough. Just let it go. No, I'm not saying let everything go, just one thing. But if you can do that, when you put that crucifix back up on the wall, then you're saying something. Then you're saying that the Lord is really Lord of my home and my heart because by his cross, I was able to let that go. What a great gift that is. What a powerful gift that is. What a mighty thing that is. And don't rely on your strength. Take him at his word. You've showed me this Lord, you helped me do this. And then just let it go. And if your heart is just a little bit lighter as a result of it, what a great gift that would be. The simple fact of the matter is we pick those things up all too easily and it's hard to master the skill and the discipline of letting them go. But not this night. On this night, strengthened by the cross of the Lord, oh, we can do that. And so, do that. Hold on to your cross and lift it high. And first, we will pray a prayer in honor of the cross, and then I will bless your crosses. O precious cross, consecrated by the sweat and the blood of Jesus Christ, sacred wood, I adore you with all of the respect of which I am capable. You are the living image of divine love. You are the hidden wisdom, the light unknown to men. You are the honor of those who follow you, the safety of those who carry you the crown of those who kiss you. It is in you that one finds that peace, that sweetness, and that tranquility which bring joy into life. O adorable cross, receive us into your arms. From this moment on, we will look to your worship and it will be at your feet that we will come to seek out those graces and solid consolations which you pour out with such abundance on your faithful adorers. Amen. And now the blessing. The Lord be with you. Blessed are you, Lord God, Father all holy for your boundless love. The tree, once the source of shame and death for humankind, has become the cross of our redemption and our life. When his hour had come to return to you in glory, the Lord Jesus, our King, our priest, and our teacher, freely mounted the scaffold of the cross and made it his royal throne, his altar of sacrifice his pulpit of truth on the cross lifted above the earth. He triumphed over our age old enemy cloaked in his own blood. He drew all things to himself on the cross. He opened out his arms and offered you his life, the sacrifice of the new law that gives to the sacraments, their saving power on the cross. He proved what he had prophesied. The grain of wheat must die to bring forth an abundant harvest. Father, we honor the cross of Christ your Son and these crosses your faithful have brought here this night as the sign of our redemption. May we reap the harvest of salvation planted in pain by Christ Jesus. May our sins be nailed to his cross, the power of life released, pride conquered, and weakness turned to strength. May the cross be our comfort in trouble, our refuge in the face of danger, our safeguard on the journey of life until you welcome us to our heavenly home. And by the powerful intercession of the Holy Virgin Mary and St. Louis Marie de Montfort, Apostle of the Cross and the Rosary, we ask you to bless with your blessing all of these crosses and the homes in which they will be kept and treated with due honor, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
0: Miserere no street of Miserere no street Misere mine Miserere no street Miserere re nostri domine. Miserere re nostri domine. Miserere re nostri domine. Miserere. Miserere nostri domine. Little extra. Miserere no street Miserere Mine Miserre Miserere street or Miserable street or Mine Miserable street Mine Please stand.
1: Christ Jesus, you emptied yourself, taking the form of a servant, and being made like us, grant us your people may follow the example of your humility, we pray to the Lord. Christ Jesus, you humbled yourself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Grant that your servants may imitate your obedience and patient endurance of trials, we pray to the Lord. Christ Jesus, you were raised up by the Father and given the name that is above all names. May your people persevere in your service to the end. We pray to the Lord. Christ Jesus, at your name, every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth will bend in adoration. Draw all people to your heart so that they will honor and adore you in faith we pray to the Lord Christ Jesus every tongue shall proclaim to the glory of the Father Jesus Christ is Lord welcome our brothers and sisters who have died into the unfailing joy of your kingdom we pray to the Lord we have remembered the words and example of our Lord in his passion and faith Let us surrender ourselves as he did to the will of the Father, using the very words that he himself has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Thank you all for coming out to pray with us tonight. And I'll leave the image of the suffering face of the Lord up here on the altar in case anybody would like to come close and have a, have a closer look of it, at it.